Hey everyone, welcome to the Middle Years Facebook Instagram Live Q&A. That's a mouthful. I'm Dorinda Wilson. I have been married to Daryl for 32 years. We have eight kids ages 16 to 30. We have seven grandkids and we've been homeschooling for over 25 years. Um, we've got seven graduated so far. So I'm excited to be here today. I recently wrote a book called The 4-Hour School Day, and so I'm going to be talking a little bit about some things from that book. Um, it's it's going to be launching here in a week. I'm so excited. But today we're focusing on the middle educational years. So that's about fourth to sixth grade. Okay. Um, as I said before, the four-hour school day is launching in one week, so Tuesday, June 29th. But today, you can win a free copy that will be mailed to you and in your hands before it's even available um, in bookstores or online. All you have to do is drop a comment or a question, and you'll be added to the drawing that will happen at the end of this broadcast. Now, sometimes I've had to shut the broadcast off or I've gotten cut off and I had to put it in the comments later. But I do choose the winner today so you know today whether or not you won. In two weeks, on July 6th, I will be covering the final years, which is 7th to 12th grade. So be sure to send me your questions for that. Just email me, dorinda at dorindawilson.com, or you can private message me from whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, next week's Facebook Instagram live event will be my launch party, my book launch party. And that's going to be at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so different time. But some of my family is actually going to be dropping in during that event. And I'm so excited that you guys will get the opportunity to meet some of these people, um, some of these people that I wrote about in this book. So I'm excited about that. And I mentioned before that we've been homeschooling for over 25 years and graduated seven so far. I always say, and my husband does too, that this was one of the single best decisions we ever made as a couple, as a family. Um, you know, I am convinced that most parents are perfectly capable of home educating their kids once they understand how doable homeschooling really is. And that's why I wrote this book. I wanted parents who were already homeschooling or who were considering it to realize that the idea that it has to take seven to eight hours a day is a huge misconception. So um, sometimes even those of us who are homeschooling, we may not actually be doing it seven to eight hours a day, but we feel guilty about it. And this book will set you free from guilt and it will also take away the overwhelm that comes with the idea of homeschooling or actually trying to walk it out. So I would encourage you to, to check it out. Um, one of the reasons that it does not have to take all day, um, there's actually several reasons, but I'll share two of the main uh, main reasons. One is that it's a well-known fact that a low student-teacher ratio makes a huge difference in the success of a child's educational experience, right? And so even if, even me, who had eight children at home, still did not, I still had a low student to teacher ratio because eight kids when it comes to a classroom is still a very small classroom. So uh, that alone is, is, and should be enough to convince you that you do not have to spend all day homeschooling your kids. The other thing is that when we home educate, we can customize our kids' learning to focus on what our child needs what they're interested in, 
and what they're ready for. We get to determine that and we as parents really know that better than anyone. Um, because we know our kids better than anyone. I always say one of the reasons I believe parents very often, I think most of the time, are the best people to teach and facilitate their kids' education um, is because they love them more than anyone. They're more invested in them than anyone, and they're more invested in their future than anyone. So the other great thing about choosing curriculum is we can choose something that works for us as a parent. You know, um, it's got to work for everybody. And so so when we when we kind of dial in on that and start to walk that out, um, learning happens so much more easily, more naturally. Um, and so it ends up being more efficient, taking less time. It only makes sense, right? Add to the fact that children are actually learning all the time. They really are. Um, and especially when they feel safe and secure. When kids have stability and they feel safe and they feel secure, learning happens so much more easily and so much more naturally. And so these are just a couple of the reasons why uh, home education often has a fantastic advantage over the traditional classroom. So let's get started talking about the middle years. Again, if you think of questions during this broadcast, please leave them in the comments and I will try to answer them before our time is up. Um, also, please check out the four-hour school day by, by going to DorendaWilson.com. And if you pre-order, which you can only do for the next six days, you will receive the devotional that I wrote to go with the book for free, okay? But again, only for the next six days. So please go to DorendaWilson.com and check that out. Okay, where I want to start is reading the introduction um, from my chapter, from the chapter of my book where I talk about the middle years. It's titled Growing Confidence, the Middle Years. If there is such a thing as a smooth season in the homeschool years, it often happens during what I call the middle years, which span the ages of about 8 to 11. There's also an important shift that happens during this middle season, one that transitions your child from the early years to being ready for junior high. The ebb and flow of learning that happens in the early years continues into the middle years because different children of the same age will naturally be at different levels of learning. One of the most important ways you can use your parental discernment in this season is to avoid making comparisons. Remember, kids can seem behind but catch up quickly if we simply wait until they are ready to learn. If we give in to comparisons, um, our kids will pick up on our disappointment, which will only create anxiety in them. And kids who are stressed or anxious, they just don't learn well. Wherever they are in their learning, we want our kids to know that we are 100% in their corner. We are a team. Our children are not our projects. They are unique persons with their own internal clocks that set the pace for their learning and for their own thoughts and ideas. If our kids feel like they are our projects, it undermines the confidence we want them to have, the confidence that they can learn. In fact, one of the greatest gifts we can give our kids, especially when they're struggling, is a growth mindset. And I go on and talk about what a growth mindset is. And I talk about uh, discernment in the middle years, struggle. You know, sometimes we can struggle to learn, um, to distinguish between um, a struggle to learn our child having a struggle to learn and laziness, 
or resistance. And so I talk about that. Um, I talk about how important it is to um, shoot for progress over perfection. I talk about writing in the in that chapter and reading and math in these years and even play because it still is important at this age. And then I talk about your relationship with your child. So um, I'm excited. I'm excited for parents uh, to, to dive into that. So the first mom asked me this question. <laughs> she started out, ooh, yay. <laughs> she says, I have two girls that are third and fifth grade, roughly. We know how that is, right? That's why I said, you know, this is fourth to sixth grade-ish. <laughs> because, you know, as homeschoolers, we know our kids can be at, you know, they could be in third grade and do be doing um, fifth grade language arts and maybe, you know, third grade math or whatever. So um, she says she's got Two that are third and fifth grade, roughly, so she's interested in this topic. She feels like they're in a stage where there is so much more to cover than when they were little, but also they're not old enough to do a lot on their own and need instruction still. So I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, like it's a lot to do. Okay, so I'm going to talk about that first because you've got a couple other questions after that that tie into it. Um, But I think... It's important at this age, once they're reading and writing and doing basic math, to strive for, um, you know, making, having them do more independently, making them, having them be as independent as possible as soon as possible. Um, it's just good for them. It's good for us. Um, you know, I know that, you know, everybody's style is a little bit different. Some moms really like to be more involved um, in the process. We just have to be careful that we're making sure that we're encouraging ownership, that our kids are owning what they're doing. Because I know a lot of times with my kids, if I participated or owned too much of it, they wouldn't. Um, They would just kind of think of it as my thing and not theirs. And so we want to be careful about that. Um, so again, striving for things that they can do independently and, and encouraging them to do that. So then she says, how and when do you start transitioning for them doing more on their own? Um, like I mentioned before, you want to really start that as soon as they are reading and writing and doing basic math. Um, because things like reading directions, that's a skill. That's something that they need to learn Um, as early as possible. So I would encourage my early reader who's um, able to read the directions to go ahead and read the directions to me. I might do this with them to make sure that they're interpreting properly. And and once I feel like they've kind of got a rhythm, I can let them do it on their own. But reading those directions out loud, and then I would say, "What, uh, what what do you think they're telling you to do? And so what we're doing is, like I said, we're, we're developing that skill of being able to read directions, process what's being said, interpret it, and then communicate it out loud. And so that's um, that's a really important part of transitioning them, them into more independence. Um, she says, let's see what else have we've got going on here. Um, she says, how do... Do you get it all done without feeling overwhelmed? Sometimes it takes so long just to get reading, writing, math, and history that I feel like the other fun things are getting dropped that I really want to do, that I don't want to drop, but I don't want to give them too much either. Okay, so first of all, you know your children. You need to be watching them. You need to be a student of them. You need to recognize when they look like they're done. 
and because forced learning isn't real learning. Now, I'm not saying they never have to do anything that they don't wanna do, but we want to, especially in these early years, keep that fairly limited when it comes to book work because we want our kids, we want to feed that love of learning, especially in those foundational years. So um, I'm, I would encourage you to make reading an enjoyable thing. Let it be something that is something they enjoy. The other thing you can do is you can count, if you want to do history and you're maybe reading out loud in history, let that be your reading for the day if you want to. You can streamline and merge some of these subjects together. They do not all have to be completely separate, okay? I think that's one thing that was the most helpful to me was to recognize that we can streamline some of these things and do two things at once. Um, so combining subjects is something that we can we can do. Also understanding that history does not really, in the, at this stage of the game, does not have to be broad or deep, okay? We are basically just exposing them to historical events, historical figures, um, so we can be reading biographies. Um, we ha would have fun books like Usborne books that would talk about, um, you know, how people dressed in different time periods. The girls really love that, you know. Uh, sometimes it would be weapons for the for the boys. It would be weapons about these different time periods. And so we really allowed history to be something that we just sort of touched on as the kids were interested. I did not do a full-on curriculum um, at that age. We just let it be things that were fun and interesting and had them pursue only bits and pieces as they were interested in them. Okay, so here's the thing. How much do you actually remember from about history from your elementary years? Little tiny bits and pieces that maybe were interesting to you, but that's it, right? So why waste our time diving deeply and broadly with a third grader and a fifth grader or even maybe a sixth grader? We don't know unless that's a real interest for them. You know, some kids, some families love history. They just love it. And that's great. You can totally like teach from that place and maybe do, maybe history is sort of like a centerpiece for you and you do your reading off of that and your writing off of that. So there's lots of different ways that you can approach these subjects at this particular stage of the game. Um, our kids loved watching Liberty's Kids. I don't know if you guys know about that it's 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 an obviously an older uh, show but my kids loved that they found it so fascinating they were little 20 minute cartoons that were uh, this shared accurate history there were characters um that were you know kids and so they could relate to them and they said they learned a ton from that um also documentaries that are interesting to them um, that's another thing that you can do um you know i would just listen you know sometimes my kids are like they would just start talking about, you know, George Washington. They would ask a question about somebody in history and we'd get on a conversation about it. And then I would say, hey, I think I have some books about that. Here, let's, you know, you want to look at these? And and I would have good books laying around, historical biographies, interesting pictures and things like that. Um, you know, sometimes we would pursue a documentary. There's stuff on YouTube in short clips. I, there's so many different things that you can do. Um, that don't have to take a ton of time. And you can just really um, customize to your children's interest that particular day or that particular week. 
and make them part of the conversation. Again, we want to be having conversations with our kids about their education, the things that are interesting to them, So, because we want to keep a pulse on where they are and the interests that they have. Okay, the second question, I have an eighth grader and a sixth grader this coming school year, and I'm concerned about math and science. Do we need to spend money on labs and dissection? Do they have to do calculus and trigonometry? What about foreign language? How much is enough? We have a tutor teacher lined up, but should we meet each week or every other week? Okay, so um, I love that moms are dropping ideas into the comments. I forgot to mention that. Thank you for doing that. I wanted uh, to, I said that in the last live and I forgot to do it this time, but to let you moms know if you have suggestions and ideas that I haven't covered, you are welcome to throw those into the comments to help, um, uh, just to help other moms. This is what it's about, right? It's about community. So the first thing that I want to say is when it comes to uh, lab kits and dissection, honestly, I wouldn't even think about doing that until high school. And you do not have to spend a bunch of money on that. That is not something that you have to spend loads of money on. I used a YouTube video that's um, for the last couple ones. Uh, our, some of our kids uh, before that went to a co-op and then we moved and so we did we didn't have a co-op once we moved. And so for those kids, um, we just had like a um, I had you can order the animals, the the lab animals on the online and you can follow a YouTube video to do the dissection. That's what I did. It was really simple and straightforward and it's just about spending the time and identifying the, the parts and the pieces and, and uh, there's tons of YouTube videos out there that can help you with that. Um, so those things can wait until high school because usually they require a half, a, usually a half a lab credit. And so that's pretty easy, pretty easy to, uh, to do. All right, um, let's see what the next the next question is. Do they have to do um, calculus and trigonometry? Okay, so algebra, geometry, algebra two, those can be covered in high school. So I don't know whether you're talking about looking at high school with these subjects or whether you're trying to do them in sixth to eighth grade, but you can do algebra, geometry, algebra two. Those can be covered in high school. The other thing that I make sure that my high schoolers get is consumer math. Um, to me, that's a really big deal. I want them to know um, everything about owning, ha about credit, about having a credit card, about buying a car, about budgeting, about balancing a checkbook, about having a bank account. These are things I want them to know. And so um, I make sure that at least one of those high school years, they are covering consumer math. So the upper level math, really, it, 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 it matters if your kid is interested in math, if that is something they enjoy and they very well may head into a career <clears throat> that's math-based, you would want them to continue moving forward and making progress. And um, But they certainly, uh, you know, they don't have to get into trigonometry and, and calculus if it's clear that that's just not an interest for them and it's not something that they're going to need. Um, you know, if they decide they need it down the road, they can catch up really easy with YouTube videos and doing something online. Um, you know, like if they're an adult and they go, oh, never mind, I want to do this thing that involves math. They've got the foundation down. Um, 
the main thing is that they're they're mastering the basics addition subtraction multiplication division decimals fractions um what's the other one you know just kind of the basic things that you would use in everyday life you want to make sure they've mastered those because they can go on to any level of math from there if and when they need to and the truth is you know um we want we don't want to kill their love of learning right we don't want to put them through stuff that's unnecessary um so even bring them again bring them into the conversation talk about whether they want to you know be college bound or not whether it's something they want to do and of course they can't make that decision right now but you can get some ideas i had pretty good idea when my kids were in sixth grade and you know on up that um kind of where they were headed and whether math was a strength and something they would ever be interested in pursuing as far as a career goes and all of that. So um, it's really about knowing your kids um, and having that conversation with them. And let's see, she talks about, she's asking about writing. No, foreign language. I, I would say foreign language is great. Um, it's really optional in high school. If you want to do it, if your child wants to do it, and you think it's a great idea and you think that you would like them to know a second language or um, they're showing an interest, um, it is a helpful thing to have. But I wouldn't put it on the list of have-tos. Um, also, let's see. We want to talk about uh, the tutor that she was mentioning um, let's see. I would say use a tutor for the problem subjects, um, but check everything else yourself. If you have an answer book, you can do that. Even better, have them correct it. This is one thing that my kids loved as they got older is, is when they got to correct their own work. And then I still looked it over to make sure that they were actually marking things and and were aware of where their problem areas were and and were they able to problem solve and figure out what they did wrong again this is encouragement of ownership this is really really important we want our kids to own what they're doing now someone else asked me did you do classes at this age um we did because we our kids went to a co-op once a week and so they got to choose classes for that once a week now when we moved we didn't have that anymore um, it's something that's entirely up to you it's up to your child um, it's not necessary but it could be a really good thing i love the idea as my kids were heading into especially as they got into junior high and high school that they were learning something from someone else because they really need to know how to meet someone else's standards, be accountable to someone else. Um, it really kind of upped the game for them. And so it helped develop that in them. She was concerned about her middle schooler with writing and whether or not she should use a curriculum. Now, there are curriculums out there. Institute for Excellence in Writing, I've heard really good things about. I have not used it. I tended to not use a curriculum when it came to writing, and that was just a personal preference, not because I'm a writer, because I really wasn't a writer back then. <laughs> I've just recently sort of, that's been a, a more recent re, uh, research, uh, more recent thing for me. So I was really concerned that my kids, I would kill their love for writing. 
um, by making it too intensive. I had five boys out of our eight kids, and so I think that may be why I chose to do it a little bit differently because my girls did actually love to write, and they would write in their journal, and they would write different things. Sometimes they would write, um, sometimes they would write for a class at um, at the co-op, but that was usually more um, high school level. But uh, like I said, curriculum can quickly kill any desire to write, and that's what we don't want. Um, we have to assess, again, college-bound versus everyday life writing skills. I can tell you that they can acquire those college-bound skills fairly quickly if they're motivated. This is what happened to our son when he decided he wanted to be a software engineer. We struggled with writing all the way up to the time that he actually took his entrance exams. And you know what? That first quarter... He did a stunning job because he had a goal. He owned what he was doing and he figured it out because he wanted that degree. So all of a sudden, the thing that he hated, he was able to engage in and start doing because he owned what he was doing. So at the end of the day, we really just want our kids to be able to get their thoughts from up here onto paper and we want them or on, you know, or typing or email we want them to get their thoughts on paper and to communicate, learn to communicate effectively. A lot of that happens from reading. So the more a kid reads, the more likely they are to write better. So our son, who is a software engineer, he did all the papers and stuff, but he tells me now in his everyday life, he just has to be able to draft an email that communicates clearly what he's trying to communicate. So that's really, at the end of the day, those are the skills we want them to master, to be able to communicate effectively and clearly. And, and we want them, obviously, to get the, the punctuation and the capitalization, because that's really just in their favor to be more professional um, and all of that. So that's kind of my, my take on writing. Um, some of my kids who were still struggling in writing when they got into high school, we'd, we would do some things like... Um, uh, free writing, which is just basically a brain dump of writing. So you've set a timer for 10 minutes and you have them just write on anything or just whatever thoughts come into their mind. They do not have to go together. They do not have to flow together. And we don't edit it. We don't look at it. We just we just get them into uh, into the mode of practicing and into the habit of practicing putting what's in their head onto paper. And so that's a that's a great starting point. Now, obviously, you can start that earlier than that. You can start that in the earlier years. Um, but that was something they um, they actually really enjoyed. And then we would sort of slowly progress into a little more, little more formal writing, you know, uh, maybe a five paragraph essay or whatever. Um, but the other thing that I had our kids do all through their growing up years was when they read every day, they would do, they would write a summary of what they read. So my kids got that practice every single day from the time they were first starting to write. It would start with one sentence. You know, first it started with narration where they would tell, just tell back to me what it is that they, um, were, about what they read. And then it went into um, writing a sentence, writing two sentences, a paragraph or two paragraphs, <clears throat> slowly building up. And the other thing that I would do too, if they were having trouble getting words from here to there was dictation. That was another thing I talk about that um, in my in my book, and, and it's one of the ways we can encourage writing at an earlier age. Okay, so what kinds of social activities or events did your middle schooler participate in while you homeschooled? 
Can you recommend some activities that your family did to help middle schoolers interact with other homeschoolers? Should these events be parent-led or child-led? <clears throat> okay, I am all about things happening as naturally as possible, but I do believe as kids get closer to junior high, there is a need developmentally for them to be with other kids. Now, whether that's parent-led or child-led, you know, it's, it's really up to you. Um, I would encourage you just to do it as the opportunities present themselves. Um, sometimes we have to be a little more intentional than others. It depends on the kid. It depends on the situation that you're in. You have to kind of gauge that as a parent. Um, like I said, our older kids were in a co-op, so they went every week for, for years. And then, of course, we had church and we had friends over. I mean, if you do any amount of like normal socializing with other families that have kids your kids' age, you're doing fine. Like there's that, that's already going on. Um, you know, our kids had friends over, they would go over to friend's house. Um, I, I'm just all about natural socialization. So, or natural socializing. I sometimes differentiate, even though technically there's not really a difference in the dictionary. To me, socialization is about conformity. I'm not really interested in putting my kids in a bunch of scenarios where they're gonna feel pressure to conform. I don't mind that they get in there every now and then because it's good for them to learn when they're getting older. When I'm talking closer to junior high and high school, or, um, it is important for them to be in those situations where they have to decide whether they're gonna conform or not conform if they haven't already been in them up to that point. Um, but socializing and then socializing. So that socialization is pressure to conform. Socializing is just the natural socializing that we do as human beings. You know, we socialize at church. We socialize at birthday parties. We socialize when we have people over for dinner, when we have picnics, when we do play dates. So, you know, we don't have to make socialization as a homeschooler a huge issue because I don't really think it is. I mean, honestly... Most homeschoolers that I know are the most social kids I've ever met. Um, but again, there are situations where you have to be more intentional if you have an only child. Obviously, there's not siblings around, and so you need to, to work on that and, and kind of be more intentional with it. So that is what I have for questions. Um, oh, there's one more question. I love family style learning, especially for history and science. My kids are rising sixth, fourth, first and a three-year-old. Right now I have my two oldest together for those subjects. So just history and science. Okay. Um, at what point do you stop family style and encourage independent learning? You know, it is so entirely up to you. Um, I like to do, you know, like maybe what I could family style because it was just easier to do it with everyone at once. It was more efficient. So what you can do family style, go ahead and do it. If you're enjoying it and they're enjoying it, I always gauged by how are the kids doing with it? How are they interacting with it? Do they seem to be enjoying it? Is it working for me as a mom? And you know, if it is, I say if it's not broken, don't fix it, right? Um, but at this age, they should, uh, especially the sixth and fourth graders, should already be doing some things independently, which obviously they are, because you only do history and science together. I say if you could do it together, do it together. If it's working, do it together. I I also mentioned earlier that I encouraged independence um, from a pretty early age. Um, and, you know, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not the kind of mom or homeschooling mom that stood up 
and taught my children classroom style. I was not comfortable with that. My kids, it just didn't seem to flow for us. And so if you're picturing that that's what homeschooling is, is supposed to look like, but it's not working for you, don't worry about it. Like I, I got each child independent as soon as possible. And I was available, always available. And I was always watching. I was watching their faces. I was looking at their expressions. Are they doing okay? Do they maybe need me to offer some help? You know, do they need a resource? And I would just periodically check in with them. How are you doing? Do you need anything? Are you are you doing okay? And um, but they loved that independence. My kids thrived on that. And and maybe that's not the case for every child, but um, I know our our kids really really liked it. I think um, the girls probably liked a little more, you know, talking and interaction. And the boys were just like they just wanted to conquer what they were doing. So that's just my own experience with our with our eight kids. Um, I know every family is different, and I really like to give a lot of leadway and a lot of margin for you to do what is actually what actually works for you. So I, I think at the end of the day, ask yourself what's working and what isn't. And, you know, make tweaks and change what isn't working and keep doing what is working because that's just the ebb and flow of homeschooling. It's just something we we have to be somewhat flexible. And, you know, that's the beauty of it is we can flex with the seasons and with the child. Our, our kids are ever changing and we're ever changing and our seasons are ever changing. So we never find the perfect anything, the perfect curriculum, the perfect schedule. Um, we just kind of... Uh, go with the flow and we and we try to stay flexible and just um, be as um, tuned into our kids as we can and uh, keep the relationships good with our kids. I think that's really, really important. So I'm going to scroll through the questions here and see if there are some questions. What science is crucial? I love this help around math as we go into the junior high years. You know, uh, again, I'm going to be honest, history and science for our family looked like just following their interests um, during the elementary years. And when they got into high school, there was more structure. And that's when it took typically the, the full four hours a day to get their schoolwork done. The younger ages took less time. And that's what I talk about in the book is um, all the different age levels and kind of what we covered um, at those points and and um, to give parents just that cast that vision uh, that it doesn't have to take all day. Um, I think that science and the re let me let me just explain my reasoning behind that because it wasn't just oh we don't have time for it we're not going to do it. I noticed that when I tried to do something structured, it just really didn't. I felt like I was forcing things. I was forcing my kids to learn things they weren't interested in. And I thought about how much did I actually remember from elementary school. It was basically nothing from elementary school. And But when I got into high school, I remember being able to developmentally handle and wrap my head around the bigger picture, the broad and deeper picture of science, the broad and deeper meaning of history and I think that's when it's really important to make sure that you have something that gives them sort of this big picture view because we want to learn from history we want to learn from science um, these are these are ways that you know for us as believers we grow closer to God is we you know we study creation science and we see what our, our creator has done and uh, one of my favorites for high school, and I'm just going to mention it. I'll mention it in the high school one too. Is by is the 101 series. Um, 
go check it out. When I do my high school um, Facebook Live on July 6th, I'll, sh I'll go into deeper uh, explanation of that series because it is absolutely the bomb. I love it for high school. Um, so science, honestly, it, it's like this. Most learning is like a network. So the elementary years, it's, it, it's, we're creating these little networks, right? Just through experience and things that they're interested in and we pursue as they show that they're interested in this historical thing or this figure or si something scientific. I mean, we can do science in the kitchen in elementary, at the elementary level. Um, I, we loved doing science in the kitchen, you know, baking soda and vinegar and making volcanoes. And we just did that as we wanted to. And as it was interesting to us and the kids sh showed that they were interested in it. And then when we got into high school, like I said, it was more, um, they were able to connect those networks. Those connections started to happen based on the networks that were just sort of like developed in the um, kindergarten to eighth grade. So um, that's kind of how I saw it and how it worked well for our family. And I can honestly say it did work well and my kids still have interests in those topics. And I think part of it was because I didn't push anything that they just weren't enjoying, you know, that, that wasn't a good fit for us. That's so important to remember that we can do that as homeschooling parents. Um, okay, so here we go. I'm gonna back up. Lots of people on Instagram here, love it. Okay, let's see if there's some questions here. All right. Awesome. Lots of great encouragement here, you guys. Thank you for sharing. Let's see, my daughter entering third grade is capable of working independently, but I also have an almost three-year-old who, who is a professional distraction. I love that. I think you need to make a t-shirt for that kid. Professional, you could do hashtag professional distraction. Um, she doesn't like being alone in the room though. Okay, so I'm, okay, so you're busy with the three-year-old and the third grader doesn't like to be alone. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if you can just kind of do some stuff with the three-year-old in the room I'm assuming you mean the third grader doesn't want to be alone. Um, and it's okay for her to be alone a little bit here and there. You could even set a timer and just say, oh, you're just going to be in here for 10 or 15 minutes alone. Um, when the timer goes off, I'll come back. And that way you can sort of like train her in, into being alone for short bits at a time. And then, you know, when as, as that grows, um, she'll be she'll become more comfortable with it as she, as as she learns to do that for longer periods of time. And you can say, I'm just going to be right over here. Um, I'm going to set the timer for five minutes. You'll only be alone for five minutes. So you know, there's lots of different ways you can get her used to that. Um, you can take your three year old in there and teach her how to play. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. Um, teach him or her how to play quietly. That might be a great little training session for the three-year-old to learn how to play quietly. We used to do this with our younger ones. We'd have a blanket that we would lay out and I would have an activity for them to do, but they had to stay on that blanket for, you know, I, it was a limited amount of time, 15 to 20 minutes. And, um, and it just kind of taught them how to stay in one place for, you know, just a short period of time. So I would have time to be able to help one of the other kids who, who might need um, more close attention. Okay. 
Somebody said the Who Was series for history. They've been great. Some are better than others, like any books, but they've been enjoyable. Great. That's an awesome suggestion. Busy boxes for the distracting three-year-old. Make a few that are only to be used during school time with, uh, with the third grader. Yeah, in the same room. That's a really great idea. Um, kind, of, kind of what I was mentioning earlier. Um, let's see. What else is going on? Ah. The name of the history show you mentioned, it was called Liberty's Kids. And I think it's even just on YouTube. I love all the freebies you can get, right? There's so much great stuff out there for free. I always say, I mean, if you can't um, find the resources now uh, with homeschooling, I mean, there is, the, the, the problem is choosing which resources to use, right? Um, so it's great to have people dropping in suggestions. And so yes, Liberty's Kids was a favorite for science. Kids loved, it used to be called Kratz Creatures. I think it's called Kratz Brothers now. I don't know, but my kids love that. Those guys are still on. <laughs> it's like, I can't believe they're still doing a show. But these were great things for the younger years. Um, even my kids in fourth and fifth grade loved Liberty's Kids. So um Alrighty, so I think we're just about done here. I'm going to wrap it up on the GarageBand um, for my listeners, my podcast listeners. Thank you for being here. Um, be sure to share this podcast with your friends and uh, be sure to go check out the four-hour school day and pre-order while you can. You got six days left. I would love for you to get, I would love to get this book in your hands. <laughs>